0: What brings us together today? Marriage that
1: blessing arrangement that dream within a
0: dream. Drop it. Duncan and Bo Come Correct.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, uh welcome back to Duncan and Bo Come Correct, in which uh myself, Bo. Uh, and my uh co cinematic gladiator duncan uh Hello. Yay! go head to head uh and present each other with films based around a theme uh that the other has not seen in hopes of uh of, of coming correct of of bringing the best movie to the table uh and because it's summer duncan uh mm-hmm. here in the states i i think it's uh spring in scotland i don't know i'm not sure how
0: things work there <laughs> well we 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 are we are now officially in summer we're in the, the the scottish summer which generally is miserable and gray but for whatever reason it's sunny almost as if it knew i was recording this show today
1: yeah it it is uh there's love in the air there it, it, it is the time when uh you get your bikini body in shape you know what i'm talking about <laughs> I and, yeah. uh <laughs> yeah like i have to tell you duncan uh <laughs> And uh, yeah, and and thoughts turn to romance, and that is our our subject today. Although I think in not unsurprising fashion, the <laughs> movies we chose for romance are anything but typical. Uh, but uh, we'll get into those in a minute. First, we like to catch up with uh, other movies that mm-hmm. uh, that we may have been watching and and do a little uh, good and bad. And and Duncan. You yes. enjoy movies. I, I do enjoy movies. <laughs> you you watch them on a fairly regular basis. One might uh, might assert.
0: Yes, uh, where, where possible, I try to to capture a, a movie or two. So,
1: what have you seen uh, since we last spoke? Uh, at both ends of the spectrum, what what really fired you up, and uh, and would you hate?
0: Um. Well, I'll I'll kick off with with um one that I filmed. Like incredibly interesting uh, not necessarily amazing but incredibly interesting another one which I kind of hoped would be better but felt more disappointed so so we're not going for adoration and loathing here we're going for somewhere in the middle Um, on either side of this All right. Uh, right so I'll kick off with the one that I kind of hoped would be better but wasn't overly impressed and that would be Insidious 3 Now, for those out there that know me, they'll know that I have a kind of shaky shaky opinion of the Insidious franchise. Um, I think the first half of the first movie is incredible. I think it's incredibly tense, really well shot. And one of the very few horror movies of recent times, that actually sprung an emotional reaction at me of, yeah, I don't know where this is going, and it's kind of creeping me out. Um, and then the second half of that movie, where they go to the further, and I'm using that in air quotations, uh, <laughs> they, they go to the further, uh, I became very goofy, and Darth Maul's running around in furry pyjamas. <laughs> yeah. And um, I, I just, it just kind of lost me. It kind of lost me. So the second one came out, and I know a lot of people hated the second one, I actually thought the second one was a lot of fun, because it was very camp and very over-the-top, which was essentially what the second half of the first Insidious movie was trying to do, but when you juxtapose it with how serious and dark the the first half is, it didn't work. So, dedicating the whole movie to that kind of goofy camp sort of attitude... Um, It didn't offend me. I didn't think it was a great movie, but I didn't hate it. I liked some of the ideas that were introduced. I thought the the movie was wholly predictable, but um, once again, at the end of it, it's set up for Insidious 3. So Insidious 3 has dropped, and I kind of thought it was going to continue the story, but no, this is a prequel. So we now find out how the character of Eloise uh, meets Tucker and Specs, and this one is the first... Uh, of the, the franchise all, I think they've all been written by Lee Winnell but um, this is the first one that's been directed by Lee Winnell who plays Specs in Insidious 3 and the precursor to this uh, he'd been doing some interviews he basically said that this was a return to the darker attitudes that you got in the first half of the first Insidious movie so as you can imagine I was interested and it was a wholly predictable um movie and I really it really annoyed me at how little they had tried to push any boundaries at all or try to do anything different. Um and what I felt when watching it was this is Lee Winnell trying to direct like James Wan. Um the way certain shots I know they've been long term collaborators, um, but the way certain shots were set up, the way that certain scares are executed, jump scares are executed, very, very James Wan um but it just didn't have like it just didn't have the panache that I think James Wan brings to certain horror movies not all of them but certainly the the ones later on uh, before he he left horror um it just didn't have that in there and yeah there were some creepy moments but from the moment you know you find out roughly what the what the deal with the spirit is which is maybe in about the first 15 minutes from then i know how the movie's ending Plus, there's there's also this idea of when you know that the characters of Eloise, Tucker, and Specs are all fine in the first Insidious movie, there's no sense of dread that anything's going to happen to them if this is a prequel. So
1: Right, right. right. I, it, there's no way that Lynn Shay's character
0: is going yeah. to die because... Yeah, yeah right. She, yeah, she doesn't die until the end of the first movie. So, I mean, I'm like, I don't... Jeez, I'm Spoilers. Not, Spoiler alert. Um, so I don't know wholly what the purpose is for this movie. Um, at no point when Linshay Tucker and Specs were in the first movie did I think, "Hmm, I really wish I knew where they met." I, you know, it never crossed my mind. Yeah, you know what I mean. So why dedicate a whole film to how they met? The only thing they managed to do was they tied up some of the the Darth Maul character thing and the the spirit that has been haunting uh, Eloise that she carries over into the first movie and ultimately into the end of the second movie but to me the more interesting movie would have been the continuation after the second movie which is she's a spirit Tucker and Specs can speak to that spirit and at the end of that second movie she sees something which she's like, oh my god, and that's when the credits come up. I wanted the continuation of that story, and I kind of feel jumping back is going to be very detrimental to an Insidious 4 actually properly happening, because you've went in the wrong direction. You know, finish your story fully on one side, and then do your prequel. Don't cut off in the middle to jump back and do a prequel, and then we'll need to jump forward. I, I just, I didn't get it. It kind of felt... It really felt like a beige horror movie. <laughs> right, right. I mean, that's not what I was hoping. I was hoping for something a bit more creepy. Uh, yeah, it wasn't very good. Um, hey, you, ready, you ready for a couple of truth bombs? Go for it. Duncan
1: of Clan McLeish? Yes, I'm ready. Uh, first of all, I don't think James Wan is all that great a director. Uh, I, I I knew I, this. Uh, <laughs> and and second of all, I don't think Lin is a very good actress. I, I'm sure she's a wonderful person. <laughs> She seems like a, a, a great gal. Uh but I don't know that I am excited about the idea of her carrying a movie and me watching that
0: movie. Well that's 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 the movie that you got. So um if you're not if you're not the... Yeah, I'm the same. I don't think James Wan is an incredible director. I, I, I know we have differing opinions on something like The Conjuring, uh, which which I really liked. I know you you have your issues with that movie. Um, but I thought in there he showed quite a lot of the the chops that I would expect from a seasoned horror director. Um He obviously has his fans, um, and he has the people that are quite happy that he's off doing Fast and Furious movies. Uh, Now, instead of doing horror movies, I just felt I I was expecting something. I don't know. I I just expected it to go somewhere which I had never seen before. Um, Right, right. And and because as as
1: dumb as The Further was, and The Further is real stupid. Oh, yeah. But as dumb as that was, it was at least unusual. It, like, it was a gamble that failed. And yes. I'm more interested in that than a by-the-numbers kind of movie.
0: Yeah, I'm the same. I'm the same. And this one just felt like we're just repeating the same things that you've seen in the previous two movies. And, yeah, there's there's going to be a market there of people that will really enjoy it. I would say if you're not... Like, a a super keen watcher of horror movies, and yeah, probably this will have an effect on you. It just didn't for me. On the other end of the spectrum, though, uh, something which I um, enjoyed as a strong word, um, I thought was a really interesting movie, um, is The Nightmare, which is a new documentary by the guys behind Room 237. So, I loved Room 237. Uh, I thought... A lot of people are like, yeah, yeah, those, you know, people talking about the shining, yeah, yeah, and I'm like, yeah, well, that's that's an aspect, but that's not what the movie's about. The movie's, yeah, it's it's about people that have watched the shining, but it's more than that. It's about obsession. That is what it's about. It's it's a documentary that looks on people that obsess on things. It just so happened to pick a topic that, you know, it's as one kind of anchor topic that these people all obsess on. With different uh, opinions, but you know it's more about the this idea of the the human psyche and how it obsesses. Um, this one here, uh, the nightmare, is a, a documentary on sleep paralysis, which is something I've never I've never suffered from. Uh, I know of it, uh, my, funnily enough I found out my best friend um, suffered from it quite badly when he was a teenager and I never knew that it was obviously so traumatic that he never mentioned it uh, ever to me once, um, but for those that don't know, sleep paralysis is where when you go to sleep your body loses um, certain stimulus down your body to basically paralyse you, so when you dream about certain things you don't thrash around like a lunatic um is is basically your body's way of protecting itself however there is a certain condition called sleep paralysis where your brain releases that to paralyze your body and but you don't fully fall asleep and as such your brain starts playing tricks on you and um, this can be categorized with a lot of different things it's it's been categorized right through history and documented but um, it's funny if you in the case of this documentary they speak to people all over the world and these people that all suffer it, it's scary how similar their stories are as to what they see, like the old woman, the shadow people, um, the demon on your chest. You, the, these are these are similar regardless where you live in the world, your different upbringings, your different access to media. Um, the stories are very, very similar. And um, I thought it was an incredibly interesting documentary. They do a lot of reenactments of people's dreams during it, which are shot like films, and uh, you know, kind of spliced with the audio commentary of the person talking about it, which I thought was pretty creepy in part. Some of the the, the actual use of of the images that the people describe is very interesting. Some of them are incredibly creepy. Um, the documentary for me lost me about a quarter of the way from the end. In the last last maybe twenty five minutes, and um, that I had this horrible feeling that there was no, there's no going to be an end to that. You know what I mean? People suffer from it. It's a medical condition. Some doctors don't believe in it. You know, you know they believe it's a, it's a mental health disorder. Uh, some will treat it with other means, and some people have just had to live with it their lives. So I found it an interesting topic. To me, when you do a documentary, you have to have an idea, a point of mind, of how you're going to finish it, which is basically your opinion. Um, Room two three seven existed in this scenario where they didn't have to put their opinion in there because they were just dealing with obsession. They've kinda of brought the same idea over at this movie. I don't necessarily think it works fully, but I think it's a it's a very interesting topic. And for those that, you know, get unsettled by things to do with, you know, dreams or dark rooms or things like that, it's definitely worth a watch. Um I just I just wish that it had went somewhere in the end and it didn't really go that way. Uh, but the, guys, the guy the guy that made, uh, has made both is super talented and if he just decides that all he wants to do for the rest of his career is do documentaries exploring the human psyche and the condition um, based rimmed things that are rooted in horror, then I would happily watch them every time he releases one.
1: Yeah, yeah. I thought 237 was really good. I haven't seen The Nightmare yet. Um, the stuff I've heard about it, and even what you're saying about it, Makes it sound like it would be something I'm at least interested in seeing, mm-hmm. and and I kind of understand like how do you make a fulfilling ending to a documentary about this, which yeah. is just like a condition that it's not like at the end of the documentary it's like now we have the cure, you know yes. <laughs> like <laughs> so, um but I but I am really interested in it and and I've heard that some of the imagery is uh you know fairly striking when yeah. it comes to the dream stuff so uh, I think that's real cool.
0: There's a particular there's a particular use of like a shadow person. Um and the way it's shot is like someone someone that makes horror movies should be out there watching that and make a film based around that, because it was creepy as fuck. Um so yeah. So yeah, that that's that, that was two things. I, I saw other things that I that completely surprised me. Um I would do a shout out if you like Dumb Slasher movies, check it Girl House. Um which has all the spirit of a 1980s slasher movie, but none of the need to constantly be meta or self-referential about 80s slasher movies. It just has the spirit of it captured up in a modern setting. And the killer's creepy as fuck. Um, That's an enjoyable watch. Very much like how Zombie vs. Well, I don't know if you enjoyed Zombie vs. Zombie vs. is an enjoyable watch for me because it's silly and the filmmakers know exactly what that movie is. Girl House is the same sort of idea for me. It's a slasher movie where the people know exactly what the movie is, and that's what they do. Well, let me
1: uh, me tell you about a movie I saw, Duncan. Oh, you tell me. (laughs) I saw, finally, What We Do in the Shadows.
0: Oh,
1: right. (laughs) And that movie is so delightful.
0: I knew it, I knew it. Uh,
1: it is, it, like, as I was watching it, I almost, I almost wanted to stop it because I was like, I'm never going to be able to watch this for the first time again. Yeah. Um the, the line that has stuck with me, probably more so than any, which is surprising considering what a throwaway it was, but it devastated me. And it's, it's for those who don't know, what we do in the shadows is a, uh, a mockumentary about a group of four vampires, you know, give or take, <laughs> depending on where you are in the movie, um, <laughs> who live together in New Zealand and uh, it's sort of documentary, documenting their day-to-day life and, you know, preparing for this unholy masquerade party that's coming up. Um, and it's uh, you had compared it to Spinal Tap, which I think is, is really accurate. Uh, it mm-hmm. is, not only is it a faux documentary like Spinal Tap is, it has the same very dry kind of humor, yeah. <laughs> but but also has these ridiculous laugh-out-loud moments. Um, but the, anyway, getting back to the line that I've been obsessed with, it's when our group of vampires run across the werewolves for the first time.
0: <laughs> I know which one that is. And
1: the ensuing, basically, slap fight that ensues. Uh, leads to the the head of the werewolves uh, telling one of the other werewolves, who who's kind of mouthing off to the vampires, and basically says something like, you know, fuck you fingers, or something like that, and, uh, and the head werewolf <laughs> says, hey, 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 werewolves, not swearwolves, <laughs> and I want a t-shirt that says that, I thought that was... That line in particular really cracked me up. I, but the whole movie is is just filled with these very understated lines that, if you linger for a second, are just devastatingly
0: funny. Oh, yeah. Um, I saw it twice at the cinema, actually, which is unheard of for me. I never go to multiple views of any movie, even if I think, if I think it's the greatest movie in the world. I won't go and see it twice in a cinema. Um, but I saw that movie twice. I, I went myself, and then I dragged the Baz from my podcast, um uh, over to watch it as well and I bought it on Blu-ray and I think I've watched it twice since then. I think it is an incredibly, incredibly clever comedy. I mean, the the attention to detail, even down to the different vampires and the different era, eras uh. of horror cinema, cinema they come from and just like, oh, the fact that one of them's called Vlad the Poker <laughs> is fucking amazing. <laughs> and I, you know, I have
1: a real soft spot for Peter the Nosferatu-like vampire that lives in their basement. Yeah, uh, I yeah, it's it's a tremendous movie. It's really funny. Um, if you if you have any interest in vampire movies or comedies or fake documentaries or any Venn diagram crossover of of those, <laughs> it's a tremendously funny film. Um, and I, all I can say is, uh, you know, Stu seems like a really good guy. I I really like Stu.
0: Do you know Stu? Like, my wife was convinced that the only reason I liked it is because Stu... um, Do you you remember what Stu does for a living?
1: Yeah, he is a software... It
0: it was a software engineer that comes up... Anyway, you tell me. Yeah, he works works with geospatial databases. So he works in GIS, and that's what I work in. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) So you're Stu! (laughs) So G.I.S. is never mentioned in any movie ever, and G.I.S. is... like see when You see what it does is like one of, uh, one of the most important things in today's society, but no one ever fucking talks about it because it's boring as shit. Um, and the fact that it's mentioned in that movie, and I'm like, oh, G.I.S. My wife just looked at me and went, is that why we're watching... She didn't like <laughs> it, by the way. She really <laughs> didn't like it. She's like, is that why we're watching the movie? Because the guy works in fucking G.I.S. And I was like, not the only reason. I mean obviously there's vampires in it. <laughs> yeah. And it has maybe my favorite
1: masturbation joke. Oh um, my god. Which there's such a long road to the punchline of that of that scene and I won't spoil it cuz you really need to see it but yeah. It, it it there's a long tail on that kite and it it completely pays off.
0: D- uh, c- can I ask you just very quickly though um Bo, do you like your biscotti? <laughs> Oh man, yeah, so fucking funny. Yeah. There's a sequence in that movie where, and it's once again, it's a, the the beauty of that movie is that it's all kind of really quick throwaway, like sort of jokes or throwaway elements, but the detail is phenomenal. Where they're chasing, um, oh, the guy's name just uh, is it Rick? The not Stu, but like Stu's buddy. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah, yeah. They're chasing throughout the house, and he gets into a room and he thinks he's away, and one of the vampires comes of his backpack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is an incredible shot, and I have not a fucking clue how they did it. Yeah, it's and and he
1: kind of crawls after him a little bit too. Yeah, it's that's really cool. The
0: crawl sequence is absolutely phenomenal, and they don't any other movie you would have focused on that for a while. It's like a quick cut, and then we're on to the next scene, and it's absolutely phenomenal. And I don't know how they did it. It's you know because it seemed it didn't seem like dodgy CGI or anything. It's obviously there'll be blue. Like the guy will be dressed in blue or whatever below the waist, and they'll have wiped it out with CGI, but it's so seamlessly done it. So ah, I love that movie. I think it's great.
1: Yeah, it, it, it is fantastic. Uh, and and one other uh, mention of a film. Uh, I'm I'm kind of like you. I didn't really see a terrible movie this week, which is mm-hmm. always a nice surprise. Um, <laughs> when, when when you're treated to genuinely, you know, quality movies of of one degree or another, and. Uh, the other movie I want to mention is a movie I revisited and just haven't seen in years and years and years. But I, I went back and watched um, the Frank Oz Little Shop of Horrors.
0: Oh, and, yeah.
1: And holy crap, that movie is such a delight. Uh, mm-hmm. Which I know I I have... That's how I've described both the movies I watched, but I don't care. They were both delightful <laughs> films. Uh, and, and Little Shop of Horrors, uh, I had... It had been long enough to, since I had watched it that I forgot Bill Murray was in it, mm-hmm. and his scene is hysterical. The performance that Steve Martin gives in that movie is already worth the watch, yeah, and yeah. and I think the music's really good. I think that, like Rick Moranis, it's it's one of the best things he ever did, and um, it, it's, a, it's just a wonderful movie.
0: Um, Do you know right now, currently, I, I don't know if you've read this or not, but there is a musical... Of Little Shop of Horrors moving, doing the rooms just now. And Jake Gyllenhaal's in it. No And he's playing Seymour, I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, I, would, I did not well, I, I would give. A, I would give a kidney to see that. Because you yeah. know what we think of Jake Gyllenhaal at the moment. I would yeah. give a kidney to see that movie. I would give
1: your other kidney yeah, to see
0: that. To <laughs> see that, sorry, stage show. Um, but yeah, I've not seen it in years, actually. It's, it's on my Netflix as well, under my, you know, the... Right, cute, yeah, yeah. Th- yeah, th- but I never watch it. <laughs> go, go back and, and
1: give it a look. If it's been more than, say, five years since you've seen it, it probably been ten since I saw it last. Um, give it another watch. It's it's so well done. It's so clever. It's so loving uh, to, you know, those kind of B-movie uh, tropes and, and that sort of thing. And it's it's really, I like, I had such a good time with it. And I actually watched What We Do in the Shadows and Little Shop of Horrors, uh like I, I saw what we do in the shadows one day and Little Shop of Horrors the next, and yeah, you know I was kind of, I was I was real pleased with myself. You know, it was one of those things like I had nothing to do with how good these movies were, but I was like I watched some good movies, you know, T- taking a perverse pride in, in something that all I did was passively watch a thing. Um, but yeah, yeah, those were those were both quite good. But uh, Duncan. That's yes. that's all a bunch of introductory nonsense, because what we're talking about here is is love and romance, mm-hmm. and I uh, present to you the first film we're going to talk about uh, this evening, Modern Romance, Duncan. It's what yes. we all want. It's what, what we all need, is a little romance in our lives, and uh, the film uh, I'm presenting to you, Modern Romance, from 1981, as I said before. Uh, co-written and directed by Albert Brooks, as well as starring Albert Brooks, um, it is, in my estimation, a a proto Curb Your Enthusiasm almost in its yeah. uncomfortableness, mm-hmm. and I think it is overshadowed by a movie like Annie Hall, but I think it makes some of the same moves in, a, in yeah. an interesting way. So. Um, The IMDb synopsis is: uh, Albert Brooks directs himself as a successful film editor with far too many issues that affects the relationship between him and his remarkably patient girlfriend. Uh, Albert Brooks, of course, is the star, playing uh, Robert Cole, and his uh, amour in the film. See, I did amour because later it's a French thing. Uh, (laughs) Is uh, uh, Catherine Harold playing Mary Harvard, and as a, a a new? piece on uh, Duncan Bocum Correct, I'm now going to introduce to you, Duncan, and our audience a short clip from Modern Romance. In this case, it is the morning after reconciliatory sex between Albert Brooks and his girlfriend, in which he does not approve of her dress. Where are you, Where are you going?
0: I'm going to work. No.
1: No. Honey, you can't, go, you can't go to work dressed like that.
0: Why? What's the matter? Don't you like it?
1: Look, we have to do some sewing here. Sweetie, Look, put on something else. Look at that. Really, please, honey. Oh, I'm look. just saying that because you love. No, them. I'm saying that because your nipples look like eyeballs, honey. Put something else on, really. I gotta go. You have wool. Put it, with... honey. Honey, wait a minute. Why don't you take another dress just in case? Honey, there's people that only rape. That's all they do. They're out there. Okay. So that is a, uh, a quick scene from Modern Romance. Uh, I find it to be a very funny and, and surprisingly challenging film, as well as being kind of a fun Hollywood movie. But what I think about the movie does not matter. Duncan, what did you make of
0: Modern Romance? Um, I actually really enjoyed this movie. It has a particular. You mentioned about awkwardness as an awkward humor to it, which. Uh, it suits me down to the ground. I like I like movies. I, I love movies where you can insert a degree of awkwardness into a scene um, and sometimes I feel that it's underutilised, especially in romantic movies, because the Hollywood ideal of what romance is is never accurate <laughs> and uh, relationships are never, you know, skipping through fields of fucking daffodils while you know, stringing daisy chains for each other's hair. <laughs> you know, it's it's, yeah. it's it's never that. It's never that. Um, what what I dug about this movie is that it kind of, or we follow a character who at the beginning we kind of think that maybe he might be onto something but the more time we spend with him and the more he because he talks to himself quite a lot in this movie and he's basically carrying you the, the audience through kind of what's going on in his head so instead of hearing an inner monologue he's saying kind of what he's thinking out loud and the more time we spend with him the more we realise that he is an incredibly insecure guy um, so basically in this movie at the start he sits down with his his then-girlfriend, uh, Mary, um, tells her that he's not happy, he's really not happy, and he thinks that the reason he's not happy is their relationship. And she kind of hints that this sort of thing has happened before, a couple of times, um, that they will split up and, you know, maybe they'll get back together. He puts his foot down and says, no, we're not getting back together, so the two of them agree not to call each other or anything. And from the moment he goes away, he starts obsessing about her and that's basically what the film entails is at first he's trying to fight that obsession uh, by uh, rather funny sequences like I'm going to go and buy uh, some vitamins. (laughs) Well there's Quaaludes first. Yeah, (laughs) Quaaludes first uh, which makes him just go on random phone calls to to, to people that he works with, including what I love, where he, he phones up his, uh, his work buddy and tells him how much he loves him. Yeah, and, that and once a hundred. How many can you give me? I would like a hundred. <laughs> yeah, he's, you know, he's like, he's like he, he tells him he loves him, and then when he speaks to him, not that long later on, and that guy mentions that he's, he's, he's quite interested in a particular woman, he goes to being called a scumbag. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, it just completely changes his opinion on him, which I thought was very funny. But our character of uh, of Robert Cole in the morning um, decides that he needs to fill his life with things which he imagines the the perfect man would do. So the perfect man jogs. The perfect man takes vitamins to feel good about himself. And I, once again, I'm stressing, I'm saying vitamins because that is how the word is pronounced. <laughs> it's, not vi- it's not vitamins. It's vitamins. Uh, just just for just. Just for clarification, there. Um, I know what you Americans are like with your aluminium, uh, <laughs> which is also pronounced aluminium, by the way, because that's what the letters are. Um, <laughs> but just, 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 just putting it out there. Uh, but so he goes to buy. Um, Go, they're just brilliant because everyone takes advantage of them so right he goes to buy He goes to buy some vitamins and he says you know i just i just one with my girlfriend and i'm you know i feel like i need to feel good about myself i need to take some vitamins and the guy basically says oh well you need this this this, this. you need your you <laughs> yeah. know your multivitamins your e your b your C, magnesium you know. is one yeah, yeah man- <laughs> magnesium all this stuff which is just nonsense so he walks out after spending a fortune there decides he's going to buy a pair of running shoes because that you know his ideal self runs well, because that's what it is he's guy that wants to run, so he walks in and he's looking at the bargain bin and this guy the see the salesman in this is i he had tears strolling down my face. It's uh, um, Super
1: Dave Osborne is who that is, as a matter of uh, fact.
0: Fucking brilliant is what it is, Paul, because he tells him, you know, you don't want to buy your shoes there, they're made out of recycled tires. What you need is these shoes. And, you know, he hands them to him and just a box. He's not even seen what they look like. He Just hands the box and he's like, Oh, should I try them? And he's like, No, 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 yeah. They're you know, <laughs> right. they're made they're made to fit you and if they don't you can always bring them back. And then he starts bringing over he brings over two kind of running suits, sweatsuits to him. Um and they're like $70 each. The guy's like, I don't want to spend $70. Buy the other ones, but you know they'll itch when you sweat, which is just nonsense. Um, and he's, he's like, right, well, buy one. He's like, well, you need two. He's like, well, why do I need two? He's like, um, well, what, what, what are you going to do when you put one in the wash? And he's like, oh, well, maybe I just don't run that day. The salesman looks at him and goes, sorry, I thought, I, you know, maybe I mistook you for someone that was serious about this. So he kills him in the <laughs> right. body two sweatsuits, and then just starts buying loads of things, including one of the coolest things ever, a, a wrist wallet. And he says, why do he need a wrist wallet? He's like, well, where are you going to put your money? And he's like, well, the sweatsuit's got, you know, it's got, um, it's got yeah, zips in yeah. his pockets. And he goes, like, he goes, no, 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 you don't want that. Your money's better on your wrist. And that's the end of the conversation. Yeah. Yep. And he, he goes to run, and he ultimately doesn't even really run that far. He runs to phone to phone up his ex, who he's convinced maybe while they were going out was seeing someone else this is just his paranoia so maybe she was seeing someone else behind his back um, I think he kind of used it as a rough justification to split up um, he goes on a failed date uh, and then ultimately reconciles with his ex but as soon as he reconciles we get a glimpse of what their relationship has actually been like up to the point at the beginning of the movie which is just this man manifests every insecurity on her, doesn't trust her, appears up at um, a dinner that she's holding with clients for her work because he didn't know where she was and assumes that he's cheating on her. He finds a phone bill with telephone numbers to New York at unreasonable hours at times, which seem unreasonable um, for lunch, sorry, that seem unreasonable. And, um, you know, it kind of continues going on this road that basically what we think ultimately is going to happen is that they're going to split up and the backdrop of this, he is editing a film, um, which is hilarious. It's like some really weird sci-fi movie. And he's apparently very good at his job, but the director is a pain in the arse. And um, I get the feeling that it would not surprise me if Albert Brooks has taken this idea of what the director's like from directors he's worked with in the past. Because like, the director obsesses about minutiae. Um, in the grand scheme of, th- grand scheme of things, and uh, will constantly not like listen to what uh, Robert Coles telling them in terms of the way the movie should be edited. So this is all happening in the background, which is funny stuff. Ultimately, the movie ends with um, Mary's character and Robert's character going on a retreat to a nice cabin out in the in the mountains. They go away there. Um, he confronts her about the the phone bill. She decides that she's had enough, they're going to split up. Um, and after a bit of to and fro, Robert's idea of how their relationship could be fixed, and this is fucking brilliant, um, because this is essential. what every Hollywood movie does, uh, is that they should get married.
1: Yeah. And, and in fact, that seed happens, or that his proposal happens after she lists a very clear set of reasons why they should not be together, and why he's probably toxic. And his response is, marry me. Yeah, marry me.
0: (laughs) And and she accepts. And you're just like, and you're sitting, (laughs) as an audience member, you're sitting, thinking to yourself, oh, I give this a couple of weeks. And then, then we get the the, the credits roll, and we get the, the bit of dialogue at the end that pops up on the screen to say that they did get married they divorced a month after, they're now re-seeing each other with an aim to get remarried. <laughs> right. I, 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 I just think, I, I, I found the quirky humour in here just delightful. Really, this, this is a, this is, I've watched a lot of romantic comedies. Like we were going to say about the romance topic, it's not something that myself or yourself are wildly keen on, um, which is probably why we went for movies which not neither one of these movies necessarily has a happy ending that we're going to talk about but you know very founded in this idea of romance because ultimately robert loves mary he loves mary because she's always on his mind he can't get her out of his head i just don't think he can live happily with her because his insecurities won't let him with, you know, his genetic makeup, who he is as a character, will never let him truly be happy. He will obsess about having her, and when he has her, he will obsess about what she's doing that will ultimately make them split up. Um and I, found it, I found it very, very, very funny. Albert Brooks is brilliant in this. Absolutely brilliant. Um, and, yeah, I just thought, I, I genuinely thought this movie was a lot of fun. Um, I can imagine some people being put off by the comedy because it is very... Like you say, curb your enthusiasm. If you can't watch curb your enthusiasm, don't watch this movie Um, because that's the wheelhouse of comedy. But yeah, I loved it. I thought it was really good. Yeah, a couple of scenes I would
1: point out here. I I particularly like his date with Ellen, the the girl that he uh, makes the date with under the influence of Quaaludes and cannot remember what she looks like or how they met. He just has her in his Rolodex. Yeah. And when he goes to pick her up and he's kind of pleasantly surprised like, "Oh yeah, I remember you. This is going to be great." And a Michael Jackson song comes on the radio that's real syrupy. And you just see the shot looking into the car. And if you're paying attention, you start to realize that Albert Brooks is making a lot of right turns all of a sudden. Yeah. And the the shot ends uh or the scene ends with him having circled all the way back around and dropping her off immediately after picking her up <laughs> and say, like, you know, I'm just not ready to date right now. Well, I'll give you a call later. Uh, <laughs> I think that seems really funny. It also has uh, a really sneaky Heaven's Gate joke. Yeah. Uh, when they're in the editing room, uh, or the sound editing room, and you hear someone over the PA say, next uh, next on the schedule, Heaven's Gate, the short version. Which I think is a really funny joke if you know anything yeah. about Michael uh, uh *Heaven's Gate*, uh, which is a real obscure <laughs> like Hollywood in joke. But it yeah. made me happy. Uh, but I, yeah, I think all the stuff with like him editing the movie is is really fun. I like the fact that James L. Brooks, who directed *Terms of Endearment* and *Broadcast News* and all that stuff, plays the the shitty director in this movie. Yeah, yeah, very funny. Yeah, there's a lot of little, you know, kind of nudgy, you know, we're having a good time making this movie kind of things. Mm-hmm. But I also think there, it, it addresses the idea of male insecurity, especially, you know, and when this film was made, this is on the heels of the women's liberation movement and now and things like that and you're really dealing with a character has uh, these very old-fashioned ideas about womanhood and and what a relationship means in addition to his own insecurities. So <laughs> you you marry these kind of old-fashioned ideas with with someone who is you know incredibly narcissistic but incredibly insecure at the same time. And you have this Bob Cole character who you know loves having uh this woman in his life but is also you know, obviously threatened uh, to an uh, some degree or another by her her business uh, career, um, doesn't necessarily trust her for no other reason than he just doesn't uh, because yeah. he's insecure about it. Um, yeah, and but she also you know plays a part in them getting back together. You know, yes, she does, yeah. so she is not blameless. It's not as if. Uh, he is just this, you know, overbearing kind of character that that smothers her and won't won't let her be free. Uh, although he is that character, but she kind of puts up with it. And it's yeah, I, but I do think it's very very funny. I one of my favorite lines from from the film, and it's such a throwaway, is when he it's before they get back together. It's it's in the the running scene when he runs immediately to the phone bo- booth and calls her, <laughs> which is also very funny. But when uh the the uh bank clerk who answers the phone says you know like f- f- fidelity savings and loan and Not he goes yet. huh fidelity and <laughs> that kills me it is such a a, a nice like y- you know he assumes that she's having this affair based on nothing more than she, than she went to lunch with a guy and it's it, yeah i think it's a, a very funny movie i think it has some interesting things to say and um. Yeah, but I agree. I I, I think if something like Curb Your Enthusiasm and even Seinfeld to an extent, there is some Definitely of that in
0: Seinfeld there. Seinfeld is yeah, yeah.
1: Um. It, and it's weird when you watch this movie because it would you know it's 34 years old now. You can see the DNA of things like Seinfeld and Curb Your Enthusiasm and even you know like John Stewart's comedy and things like mm-hmm. that. Like Albert Brooks was incredibly influential on on a generation of comics. Surprisingly. Um, maybe not surprising. I don't want to discredit the guy's comedy or or (laughs) nothing, but I think he's very, very funny, but he's just not a guy you think of as like, you know, this, this icon of comedy or anything, but, uh, movies like this and lost in America and real life, um, all of which I would encourage you to see, um, you know, really did establish this very specific Albert Brooksian kind of point of view. And, Mm. uh, and which I find very funny and, and, there are definitely those who are who are not going to uh, enjoy his particular brand of comedy. If if you want something that's a little more mainstream, then you know <laughs> this is not that movie because uh, it is very specific and and does you know it it like you said he he speaks aloud through much of the movie and in in a lot of scenes it's just like it's him giving a monologue with this story as a backdrop. And, yeah. uh, and that stuff works for me. So, um, any, anything else you would like to, uh, point out in your admiration, nay love of modern romance?
0: And <laughs> um, just like, just to echo what you, 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 said, um, I think if you have, if you have a, that particular sense of humor, you like things to be slightly sardonic and, um, you, you know, you like humor, which is off the wall. Um i think this is a, a a little gem out there which like i said i never heard of it before so um which is the beauty of doing this show um <laughs> unlike the next movie which is a movie you had heard of you just hadn't seen yet this is one i didn't know anything about so yeah the same um, it, it's definitely worth checking out excellent excellent all right uh duncan yes you ready to get uh
1: french you know this this makes by the way the third french film in two episodes
0: well, I, I was going to say this movie originally was going to be used um, as my selection for la- uh, for the last episode. This was the movie I was going to bring. But when you had listed out the topics so clearly um, as to what the next one was going to be, romance, it came down to. And the other movie I selected, obviously, if you've listened to the first episode, you'll know it's Angela. Um, and that is also... A romance movie as well and um, I had to come down to what I thought was the better romance movie which is why Blue is the Warmest Colour is the next movie we're be doing Bo so my choice for this romance week on Duncan and Bo Come Correct is a French movie like Bo had said in the previous segment. Um, I'm going to struggle with some of these French names, so just bear with me, and I'll try and not massacre them too much with my uncouth Scottish tongue. The movie is called Blue's the Warmest Colour from 2013. It was directed by Abdelatif Kichichi, um, co-written by uh, Abdelatif uh, Kichi and Galia Lacroix. Um the synopsis is listed on IMDb is Adele's life is changed when she meets Emma, a young woman with blue hair who will allow her to discover desire to assert herself as a woman and as an adult. In front of others, Adele grows, seeks herself, loses herself and ultimately finds herself through love and loss. Uh, we're going to play a short clip from that movie, which is obviously going to be in French, but I'm hoping that um, the the passion behind Uh, The scene will translate well in audio form and we'll be back to talk about the movie right after this. Arrête de me prendre pour une connade et dis-moi, ça fait combien de temps que tu couches avec
1: lui Hein Je couche pas avec lui. Ça fait combien de temps que tu mens
0: Je couche pas avec lui. On s'est embrassés un soir, bourré. Alors pourquoi tu perds Parce que je regrette. Me prends pas pour une conne. Je te jure que c'est ça. Me mens pas. Je te promets. Ça fait combien de temps que tu couches avec lui Je suis jamais ça. Combien de fois t'as couché avec lui Dis-le-moi. Alright, ah, so that was a clip there from Blue is the warmest color. Now, um, like I said to Bo just previously there in the previous segment, um, I had intended of deploying this movie um, on the previous show. I kind of held it back because I felt that it's. Yes, it was French, and yes, we could have used it on the French show, but I just felt more apt to use it here. And I kind of feel like I've cheated a little bit um, because (laughs) uh, this movie is. uh, To say that this movie is a powerhouse of cinema uh, or modern cinema would be an understatement. Uh, I've heard not one critic. See anything overtly negative about this movie, and it went so far as winning the Pam Dor as well (laughs) at the Cannes Film Festival, which is a a very unique um, award which is given to the select few films which a panel of of critics, you know, specifically say, you know, this is the movie that people should watch in this year. Now, it is a long movie, it clocks in about the three hour mark, um, but I am interested, Bo, uh, to hear what you have to say about this movie because when I selected this, I th- was one very surprised that once you you hadn't seen this one yet because this was a movie that everyone was talking about last year. Everyone talked about it, um, which is when I saw it, and I thought it was phenomenal. Um, and I- I'm quite interested as a writer, what you make of this movie because to me this kind of feels like a giant book um yeah it was originally I, I, a comic book as a matter of fact or graphic novel oh right see that 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 surprised me i didn't know that but it definitely feels like it could have come from the you know like a really strong novel or something Um what did you make of blue is the warmest color
1: uh first of all you said that uh, you have not heard a critic uh complain about the movie uh-huh. And I would like to uh, to break that uh, cycle by <laughs> saying I hate the fact you picked it. <laughs> it is. Uh, I, I'll tell you, I hadn't seen this movie really because of the length. I mean, it, it's three hours, and that's daunting. You know, if it, yeah. if you sit down and, and watch Blue is the Warmest Color, that's what you're doing for that evening. You know, yeah. it's it, it's a big movie. Um, that said it moves in a way that it does not feel like three hours. You're getting a lot of story, but it never, I never felt the sense that the movie was dragging. In fact, yeah. a, a number of times I checked, you know, my watch, not because I was bored, but, uh, and let's be real here. I don't have a watch. I would, I check my phone. Um, <laughs> I checked my phone a couple of times, uh, not because I was bored, but because I, I wondered how far along I was in the film and each time I was surprised by the fact that it was further than I thought I was. Yeah, yeah. And and it moves at a nice pace. Uh, so don't don't make my mistake if you are listening to this and think that because it's a three hour film, it's gonna it's gonna be a wearisome three hours. Um, it will be an emotional three hours. Um, <laughs> uh, so the the movie is really about uh, the character of Adele, who it, we we first meet her and she is. Um, high school age, she's seventeen, I believe, when we first meet her. Mm-hmm. Um, she is wrestling with uh, her own sexuality. Um, she has uh, had experiences with guys, or uh, we see her having experiences with uh, guys in the film. But it, it's clear pretty quickly that she, it doesn't satisfy her, and she finds herself drawn to at first a classmate. And then, uh, Emma, who, uh, she sees in, uh, in a crowd, um, on the streets and, and becomes enamored of, uh, Emma. And, you know, there begins this, this relationship where, uh, as the IMDB synopsis suggests that, uh, Adele starts to grow up, not only understanding her own, you know, urges and desires, but also taking those steps into adulthood, and it's a very mature film, uh, in that it doesn't it doesn't look at love as a teenager or even later in the film as she gets older through rose colored glasses. Um, I, you know, strangely there are moments when during the course of the film where you kind of see where this relationship is going, and it's not going to end well. Yeah, but I, you know, I don't know about you, Duncan. Uh, but I, I have had a relationship, not exactly like this, because I've never been a lesbian. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I could relate to it in the sense that I think a, a number of people have who have had this relationship where they're dating someone who's maybe a little bit older and is in a weird kind of way, a mentor to their adulthood. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I think that's the relationship that Adele and Emma have. It's a very passionate relationship. It's very, very sexually charged. You know, it's Adele's first experience with a woman, and it it clearly appeals to her and suits her. Um, And she gets drawn into Emma's world, and Emma's an artist, and so there are all these uh you know very hipster art types that sort of swirl around and a lot of times Adele uh as Emma's girlfriend is is sort of relegated to the role of host to these people she doesn't necessarily have a lot in common she's not as experienced she's not as uh knowledgeable about art and uh, the art community and philosophy and and these things that Emma is really uh passionate about but uh but she is passionate about Emma Um, even though as the the film goes along, we see that that maybe Emma is pushing Adele to be a person she is not. Mm -hmm. Because, in in both cases, I think Adele and Emma both want the other to be their perfect mate. Um, I think Emma is closer to that goal unknowingly than, uh, you know, from Adele's point of view than, than Adele is from Emma's. But... Yeah, it's this it's this very passionate relationship. Ultimately Adele ends up having an affair with a man, um, when she starts to feel as though uh she's becoming marginalized in the relationship with Emma. And then when this uh this affair is discovered, there's maybe my favorite scene of the movie where they Emma throws her out. Yeah. Um and then from there, you know, we see Adele just shattered and, and trying to pick up the pieces of, of you know, this betrayal that uh, she has initiated. and and But she's, you know, devastated by the loss because Emma is not only the first woman she was with, it's also the first relationship she's had that, you know, is a real tangible kind of relationship where, um, you know, she was heavily invested and yada. yada. I mean, it's first love. And and seeing that kind of shatter is uh, is always painful, um, and yeah, and by the end of the movie, I don't, I'm not sure I agree that she's found any kind of
0: happiness at the end of this movie. Uh, yeah, I think that synopsis is flawed there. I think they've missed the entire point at the end of the movie. But um... yeah, I I think it's
1: that she just understands that she has to she has to move on maybe, mm-hmm. you know, that it's just, okay, this is a world that I was part of. And this was a person that I knew. Um, and, and now I don't, not to, not to paraphrase go to Uh, uh <laughs> that that's somebody I used to know. Um, uh, that is unfortunate, but yeah, but it, but it's that kind of scenario. Like there, there's a great scene where they meet, uh, in a, in a cafe and it's about three years after the relationship has ended and Emma is now with uh, another woman, and they have there's a child involved. And Adele sort of makes this one last attempt to, you know, uh, find the the spark in that relationship again. And and I think it's clear that they have, you know, there's a real attraction between the two of them even then. Yeah. But unlike Adele, who did not control her impulses, uh, you know, Emma is mature enough to say. I can't do this. I've got, you know, I've got a life, I've got a lover, I've got, there's this child and I can't, you know? Um, and then, you know, it it all culminates in, in sort of this art gallery, uh, uh, showing of Emma's work. And Adele is there and sees a lot of old faces that she hasn't seen in a long time and, and so forth. Um, And ends up just kind of walking out of there. And then the last shot of, (laughs) or the last scene of the film, is as she leaves, uh, there's a a male actor that she'd been kind of flirty with uh, at a couple of points in the film, who chases after her and then goes the wrong way. Yeah. And I think there is a real rejection in this movie of the notion of, you know, love as some form of destiny, and, fate. Yeah. and and they address that a little bit in, in some subtext when uh, you see some of Adele's classes and, and some of the stories that they're talking about relate very directly to the events of her life. But, uh, yeah, it's a very unflinching, kind of unsympathetic look at what it's like to be in a relationship that goes bad, even mm-hmm. though there are good things about that relationship. Um, yeah, and so that's all the, you know, like intellectualizing this movie, but what it comes down to is, I don't know if I've ever seen like a raw portrayal of this kind of thing of this kind of relationship, the relationship that is incredibly intense and incredibly passionate so much so that it can't sustain itself. Yeah. And it's, it's not difficult to watch except, in how familiar it can be if you've ever been a part of something like that. Mm-hmm. And if you have, I think it's it's just thunderously powerful because you recognize the emotions that are going on. Like I, you know, I've had that breakup where for like 6 months afterwards, I was just a wreck, you know? Yeah. Like I couldn't I couldn't get over it no matter how much I tried. I couldn't I couldn't get myself out of this of uh, you know obsessive need for someone and and much like uh uh blue is the warmest color, the breakup was my fault, you know, <laughs> so like I related to it in a way that I didn't quite expect to in a way mm-hmm. um but yeah, it's a fantastic movie it's it's so well acted, and I hate to sound like hyperbolic and and maybe a little flowery about describing it um but there is a bravery in the performances of the lead actresses. Oh yes, that are so, like you know. I, I guess we should probably say that the the scenes of their sexual congress uh, in the in the movie is you know I, I don't want to say graphic, but it, it, it's certainly not you know. Hey, we're gonna throw some sheets over two bodies and you're gonna see them wrestling around. Yeah. It's like I kind of understand how lesbians have sex now thanks to this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm for it, just for the record. But uh, yeah, I mean it's it, there are some pretty hardcore scenes in this, and and you know there's some full frontal nudity and so forth. There, you get to to uh, you know, a, a few glimpses of the vaginas as they're called mm-hmm. in science. Um, yeah, it's yeah, it, it's it's a remarkable movie. It, it like it's emotionally honest. It's compelling. There are things that happen in this movie I don't think I've ever seen in a movie before, uh, but it's all on an emotional level. It's not like, I, you know, I've never seen a Transformer fight a dinosaur before. It, it, it's like I've never seen the human heart laid bare quite so starkly when it comes to this particular kind of life experience. Um and it's it it's really it's very sad, it's very touching, it's very uh very believable. I I guess is the thing I come back to over and over again is that it just it feels real. Like that these could be real people and if you knew them, it, it would be fun to talk about their relationship when they're not around. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, it's man, it's great. It's a great movie. It's one one of the best movies about relationships I've ever seen.
0: Yeah. I can't I can't I can't argue with it. It's a movie that I mean, I watched it again last night, but uh, which will be the second time I've seen it. And um I watched it late. I mean, I started watching it at midnight, so it finished at three in the morning. Um and I was once again struck by how powerful it is. Um and I am very much like yourself, I have had a relationship, you know, um, which kind of went the same way where it's it's very you know incredibly intense and passionate but the longer it goes on the more you start to realize uh, the 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 distance of interests um, between you and your your partner uh, and then you realize that when there aren't those things in common the times when you are not intensely passionate are the times that start to become, not awkward, but noticeably quiet. Um, and I think it's handled incredibly well. I think you you mentioned about the breakup scene. That breakup scene is so intense and so realistic, and there are so many emotions flying in it, that I think it was potentially one of the best acted scenes in a movie last year. I think genuinely it is incredibly powerful. Um I think the story is a story that we've seen probably in many movies before, uh, but never done like this, never done like this. Um, And it is so, the movie very much um, follows the beats of the relationship uh, in that, you know, it starts off uh, unsure of itself and timid, becomes incredibly passionate and powerful and then towards the end it's like it's just trying to find the sense of identity um and emma constantly believes in adele and kind of pushes her for this idea that she'll be a writer you know she could be this talented writer because she's an artist so that makes sense um adele is never really interested in that she ultimately becomes a school teacher which we find she's very good at She's she and it's a job that she enjoys. Yeah. And on some level, we would imagine that probably Emma would never have. I I think Emma probably would never have been entirely happy with that. It's a little I, I
1: too guess. pedestrian for her, I think. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and, and that so that would never really worked out. And um, ultimately, Emma ends up with a woman who becomes that host. That. Adèle didn't want to be. He, her partner is is basically someone that you know looks after the kid. Is the woman in the relationship almost to an extent looks after the kid, takes care of the guests. Um, she the the woman that plays Emma is incredible. Uh, it's like a, such an incredible performance, um, and she's like you said, Adèle's performance is great as well. The 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 scenes of lesbianism in this movie are so intense and so raw um it's uh, it's just it's just a really powerful movie and i i totally wholeheartedly agree that it says 3 hours on it you will not feel like you've spent 3 hours watching this movie it flies in so quick um it's it's just an it is an absolutely incredible movie um and yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you got. I'm glad that this show was the excuse for you to watch the movie.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm unfortunately in some respects, but yes. Uh, the <laughs> the other thing that you know, we've we've been kind of talking about the the darker aspects of this movie, but there are also, particularly in the first say hour, hour and a half of this film, uh, particularly from about the hour mark, eh, for like the next thirty forty minutes, when you're seeing the real beginnings of Emma and Adele's uh, relationship. And there are all these little moments, one in particular when they're in the park together, and it's mm-hmm. the first time that they kiss. Yes. And it's it's one of those scenes that while I was watching, I had this big dumb smile on my face because it's very recognizable as this very, you know, as as you said, a very tentative, innocent, very affectionate scene about how young love can begin. Mm-hmm. And, and it's really, there are moments all through, like when, when Adele first goes to Emma's house for dinner and her parents are very welcoming and accepting and, uh, you know, you start to have some optimism <laughs> for where this movie may be going. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, it deals with sort of the, you know, LGBT discrimination a little bit, but that's not a kind of a cornerstone of the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. although it does address it, you know, you see like there's a pride parade in France that they're part of and, um, there, there's definitely a scene when she's, uh, when Adele is still in high school where she sort of outed a little bit and, and that yeah. becomes a, a very, uh, very intense kind of scene, but also very real, I, you know, you, that's the thing we keep coming back to. It feels very real and honest and, and I'm glad I finally saw it. Um, I wish it had not been in the context of this show, uh, <laughs> but it's a uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful movie that everyone should experience at least once. If you've ever had uh, a young relationship uh, that you knew was probably not the best thing in the world for you, but mm-hmm. you, you went ahead with it anyway, um, I, I think maybe both of these movies could could could
0: uh, maybe you know seem a little I familiar. Think- yeah, I think I think that's the thing. I think uh, ultimately, I mean, the the movies are uh, uh, they have that similar idea of Adele's character, um, her obsession at the end with trying to recapture what the they had. That's what she thinks she wants, and ultimately, when she appears at the end at the art gallery and realizes that nothing has changed, Emma is still surrounded by the same people. They talk about the same things. And that's just not a world that she's interested in. And that's who Emma is. That is that world. Um, and that realisation that it's never going to be those intense couple of years that they had right at the start. It's never going to be that. And that's what relationships are. They always start off incredibly intense. But over time, you you settle into a, an air of comfort, which... Um, that's where the common interests you know and all these things take over is that you learn to live with someone fully um and not just for the intense passion you have at the beginning the love is always there but the you know the 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 passion is never as strong as it is in that first short while um and i think the funny thing about it is modern romance has a very very similar theme in that robert's character is constantly of the opinion that you know he will only ever be happy with her Uh, but when they are together he realizes how insecure that makes him Um, and it's a never-ending it's a never-ending in the case of their one that's a cycle that will never break because neither character is strong enough to admit that they don't they shouldn't be together. In the, cases, in the case of the, the other film, Blue the Warmest Colour, um, Adele at least comes to that realisation, a painful one at the end of the movie, uh, uh, granted, but she comes to that realisation that it's never... It's the realisation that Emma came to in their previous meeting in the cafe. And Emma says to her, you know, we can't do this. It's just, you know, I'll, I'll always love you, uh, but you know, it's never going to be the way it was before. it just takes Adele that little while longer to cotton on to that. So I think it's, I genuinely think it's an absolutely phenomenal piece of cinema.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Uh, all right, well, let's, uh, let's take our final break here and, uh, and then hash this out. Um, and, uh, we'll be right back, (laughs) welcome back to Duncan and Bo come correct. Um, so, we have reached the final portion of the show in which uh, we are going to decide which of the uh, the films is the superior film, who has, in fact, come most correct. Um, I I think my demeanor has suggested what the end of this show is going to be, and my uh, sometimes profanity-laden messages to Duncan throughout the week have also been an indication. You'd um,
0: be quite vocal about this one.
1: Yes, I, which is probably uh, not wise, but... You know, man, Blue is the Warmest Color is a great movie. It's like, Modern Romance, like I said, I felt like that was a dark horse in that it's a very specific kind of movie, and maybe, maybe it would land the right way. Um, But even I, Duncan, can can look you in the virtual eye (laughs) and say... Blue is the Warmest Colour is not only the best movie of this episode, it's one of the best movies I've seen in a long time. Uh, it's a tremendous film, and I, I think it's the winner.
0: Yeah, I'm... I'm, I'm Yeah. Without, being with a great deal of modesty, yeah, yeah I would I totally, totally agree. I think it's one of the strongest movies we've discussed in the entire series of the show. Yeah. Um, and that's including Series 1. Uh, I think it's just... It's just an incredible piece of cinema, and every now and again, these movies are going to pop up on this show. It's going to be more difficult because the chances are, with such prolific films, the chances are either myself or yourself will have seen them. You know, both of us, the likelihood is we've both seen them. Um, occasionally... One slip through the cracks. Um, whether it is you know um, the time on the movie, uh, it's like because I, even I knew before I was sitting down to watch it the first time, three hours—that's a big ask for any movie. Um, yeah, you get. Yeah, you, you got to make it worth
1: it at three hours. As a writer and/or director, you have to make it worth the viewer's time. And and yeah. blue is the warmest color. Does that in spades
0: yeah i would i would like though i would like to like back up what you were saying i I genuinely think that uh, modern romance is a is a a really good film i i found it very funny and very charming and very awkward um and yeah i would recommend that one wholeheartedly and it just ties back into this idea that on this show we have still to meet an episode where we wouldn't uh, recommend a movie and I think this week we, we've, we've once again come away with two movies that we would both definitely recommend that you go out and check if you have time to uh, watch them. Blue um, Blue's the Warmest Colour is a movie that like I say is there's not many movies come along like that ever and uh, I think that's probably what makes it stand out I don't think, I would want many movies that to come out as much because it really is an emotional roller coaster for the the actors involved in the movie. But as an audience member, if you've had similar experiences and relationships, you will see them coming. And it does kind of make you think back over old wounds which you thought had healed. Um uh, yeah, it's a phenomenal film.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. Um
1: well with that out of the way, that brings uh season two to the point of a tie. We are one one. It's almost as if we had never done shows at all. Uh we're we're back to zero. Um and next week we will uh be doing the exact opposite of uh or in a fortnight, not next week. In a fortnight we will be doing uh movies, uh not about romance, Duncan, but about the inevitable result of romance and that is war. Yeah so, uh, as always, the theme is uh you know a little loosey goosey um in the sense that I don't think either of us are gonna be proposing like full metal jacket to the other one <laughs> but uh but there are plenty of films that use war as a uh a backdrop or uh even as the the central theme of the film that are are worth our attention and the attention of our audience. Um, so that'll be, uh, becoming in a fortnight until then, Duncan, how, how might people, uh,
0: enjoy more of your delightful Scottish (laughs) brogue? Very well put. Um, I, I have several shows, uh, but my main one is the podcast under the stairs. Um, it is on Legion podcast network. It's also, you can check it out through iTunes as a standalone or on Stitcher smart radio. um, or the website, which is under the stairs. wordpress.com. And we are currently gearing up to do our summer top 10 shows. So, in um, just over two weeks' time, we will be starting our top 10 Vincent Price versus Christopher Lee movies and uh, a battle uh, for supremacy. Which actor has, of those top 10, has the better performances throughout? Uh, which I'm really looking forward to because it means I get to revisit some of the classics of, of horror cinema. I'm um, looking at, at a slightly different point of view. Like I, like I was saying on the most recent podcast, Under the Stairs, um, the thing about this is the movie might not necessarily be great, but if Christopher Lee's performance is phenomenal in it, And the other movie is, you know, is a great movie, but Vincent Price's performance isn't great, then Christopher Lee technically wins. So the the matchups will be quite interesting because we're pitting performance over the movie. Um, so I really, really am looking forward to that. The other show I would mention is on the Horophilia Podcast Network. It's Doing the Nasty. It's a video Nasty's exclusive podcast. We have just finished our prosecuted list of movies. So that's the first thirty-nine. Um, from the prosecuted list has now been completed uh, we're now moving on to the remaining 33 movies from the non-prosecuted list that show officially wraps up in November uh, it'll be all gone uh, and finished the way of the dinosaur and um, unless you watch Jurassic Park and um, <laughs> so just there's thought- going to be doing the nasty world where... Yeah, not, Yeah, I, I just imagine that um, Jeff Goldblum is going to be in the background saying, "Podcast, find a way." Um, somehow, be, I don't know.
1: That would be amazing. I
0: would, I would like that. I would like that. Um, but yes, yeah, so that show is uh, com- it comes out every two weeks on the Horrorophilia Podcast Network, and like I say, it discusses some of the most controversial uh, exploitation and horror movies ever made, and some of the worst. <laughs> which we've also had to cover. Uh, I did watch a certain movie. It's been a while since we've we, we spoke about this, uh, Bo, but I feel the need to, to speak about it. I did watch a movie called Mardi Gras Massacre. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, are you aware of Mardi Gras Massacre? You, you, have, if
1: you, you have mentioned this I, to me and Was it on this show where we talked about that... It is the
0: unofficial remake of yes. Bloodfeast? It is the unofficial remake of Bloodfeast, yeah. And it is basically a shitter version of Bloodfeast. It's a holy shitter version of Bloodfeast. Um and that is that is asking a lot. Okay. <laughs> right is <laughs> it's, but it's, it's not it's not good enough to to make it to the i mean it's a shitter but not in a way which we make it endearing to use it as duncan and bokeham incorrect at the end of this season so um you can hunt that one out it's on youtube it's awful it's really really bad but we've covered some great movies Um the last episode that went up uh we talked about tenebrae which is my favorite argental movie we talked about a movie called you'll love this Werewolf versus uh, sorry, the werewolf and the yeti.
1: Yeah, that 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 also describes one of my former relationships. But go on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not asking you. Um, and uh... <laughs> I think it's obvious. <laughs> <laughs> and uh... <laughs> uh, another movie was uh, zombie flesh eaters, aka Zombie Two, uh, from Filchey. So that show was like a powerhouse, uh, sure. obviously. Uh, the Werewolf Yeti movie was shit, but um, either side of that was gold. And it's... the next show that we're going to be doing, which will be out by the time this episode drops, um, I'm going to be discussing The Beyond. So I am beyond happy to be discussing The Beyond. Oh,
1: it's, really? I,
0: I couldn't help myself. It's my favourite <laughs> Fulce movie, so yeah, I am. I, um, Actually, I every now and again you get a real gem. That you know you you get really excited about, but unfortunately you have to wade through quite a lot of shit to get there. So, what about yourself, Bo? What you got coming up? Uh,
1: We have, uh, assuming, assumedly, sometime uh, the Grave Shift Radio on Alien will be out. Uh, Yeah, yeah. So uh, that will be coming up. Uh, Devour the podcast. uh, Probably when this airs, that will not have been released yet. Uh, and that will be uh, Zombievers Beavers and uh, what we do in the shadows, which oh, yes. spoilers was real good. Um, and uh, let's see what else do I have? Oh uh, the shotcast, the uh, shot imported gaming uh, podcast uh, will be coming up again soon. Um, we most recently had our episode that was sort of our post e3 wrap up and uh and that was a good time uh because that was a good show e3 was fun Mm -hmm. this year Mm -hmm. and uh then of course legionpodcast.com and at legion podcasts on twitter uh as well as on the facebook so if you look up legion podcasts on uh facebook uh hop in join our groups and uh and come say hi um and and if you have any suggestions For this show here, Duncan, uh, Mm -hmm. which we have been doing, uh, you know, as long as today, Um, (laughs) you can uh, send us a message at dbcc at com, Or if you want a more direct route, uh, just look us up on uh, at Legion Podcasts on Twitter and uh, shoot us a message. Let us know if there's a movie that you would like uh, us to discuss, uh, assuming, of course... That uh, one of us has not seen it, and if we both have, uh, you know, at the very least, we'll give it a mention and 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 sound off, let you know what we thought of
0: it. You know what I mean? Give it. Yeah, yeah, I think give him a little taste. That's a great idea. And the last thing I want to say is that if you're listening to us through the the direct feed for Duncan and Bo, I'm correct. Um, there may be a reason for you to switch over and listen to us through the Legion Podcast Network feed, and that's because myself and Mister Bo Ransdell each week for the next couple of weeks we'll be taking um, a special look at season 2 of true detective uh, we'll be covering the episodes um on the week they come out we will be discussing them putting our crazy theories uh into the mix as we we discuss what is looking to be a, an incredible season of of television so but that can only be listened to exclusively through legion podcasts. so make sure that you are subscribed there to hear more of us talk about things that aren't just movies that are tv
1: yeah yeah it, it's like visual entertainment uh is just our milieu the the canvas <laughs> upon which we work uh but yes yes the true detective episodes if you're into that show um i i think you will actually enjoy that we we discussed those episodes in in some detail and, and also post some crazy theories, not naming names, but Duncan has some crazy theories. <laughs> um, so, uh,
0: check us out there. Uh, Duncan, anything else before we get out of here? Uh, just thanks very much. Everyone, uh, making this show land number three on the Legion podcast networks, most downloaded episodes, um, of of june that is absolutely huge our show's not been around uh for a good couple of months and to come back with our first episode and have such a a, a powerful debut of season two on the legion podcast network warmed my cold dead heart so uh <laughs> thanks very much uh for that and i look forward to speaking to you all in two weeks time uh discussing what who yeah what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. That's all you get. You well, that was some would argue too much. Um <laughs> that... I could I I do I could do my Jackie Chan impression from Rush Hour if you want. Let's do it. <clears throat> it goes Whoa, who, yeah. what is it good for? Absolutely nothing.
1: <laughs> and we'll see you in a fortnight, everyone.